Mary the Pensive Worshipper. Let's bow in prayer and then I'll read the passage. Father, thank you again for another opportunity to open your word and to look into it and see what you have to teach us through these two women, these sisters who loved you with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength, served you in different ways, but teach us from them that we're really to be a blend of both of them. We're to be preoccupied workers for you and also pensive worshipers of you. So it's not really an either or, it's a it's a combination, but there is one that is a priority, and that is worship. We should worship you first before we can become effective workers for you. So now I ask again that the Spirit would have his will and way in every heart. Thank you for this delicious food provided by these women, um, and just thank you for every one of them. They're such a blessing. Their hunger for your word is such a blessing to my heart, so I thank you for them. And now, as we open your word, may Jesus be glorified, for we pray in his name. Amen. So, let's say you got a call or a text from Gabriel, you know, <laughs> the messenger angel Gabriel. And he told you, right now, you got that text, even though your phones are on vibrate, that Jesus was going to come to your house this afternoon. And he was going to spend the night with you. What would be your very first inclination? Well, probably this room would be instantly empty. <laughs> Everyone, would you, would you jump up from here and say, forget Martha and Mary. <laughs> Got a top priority. Uh, would you jump up from here, run to the grocery store, get everything you need to prepare him a delicious meal, you get the food, you race home, I mean, you race home, you, you don't break the speed limit, but you race home, you instantly start cooking, and while everything is cooking, what are, else are you doing? You're shoving all the junk into the dr dresser drawers and hiding it in the closets, and you're making sure the Bible is on the coffee table, open, and, <laughs> and, then, and then you go and get yourself, you know, fixed up as best as you can, you know, do your hair, and whatever you... Um, is, would that be your first inclination? Set the table, you know, go out and cut some flowers and make a nice pretty centerpiece. I know Patty would be doing this. She'd make a beautiful centerpiece and um, all the table would be set in your finest china and you would make sure the silverware is polished. <laughs> oh boy, all that kind of stuff. Would that be your first inclination? Or, 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 would you think how best you could spend your time with him would you immediately, I mean, you'd leave here probably anyway, but would you sit down with a pen and a Bible and start thinking of all the questions you would like to ask him? Like, what happens to our pets at the rapture? <laughs> I had that question when I taught at Village Chapel. Um, or, you know, or would you immediately get on the phone and call all your friends to come join you for dinner and meet Jesus? Would you think about the unsaved people in your life who you would really like to have meet Jesus and get on the phone and quick call them, not caring about, you know, exactly what you were going to feed them? <laughs> um, maybe just throw in a frozen Marie Callender's chicken pot pie, something like that. So what would be your natural tendency in such a unique situation? I got news for you. It's not going to happen because Gabriel doesn't have a cell phone. <laughs> 
<laughs> but what would be your reaction? Would you be a hostess? Want to be, want to be a hostess with the mostess on your feet in the kitchen or a prudent student at his feet in the living room? Now, ideally, we should be both a preoccupied worker for the Lord and a perceptive worshiper of the Lord, right? You all agree. Life is a struggle to be both a Martha and a Mary. It's a balance. As we look at these two sisters in this next session, we are going to see how they literally did respond when Jesus came to their house for dinner. And they might not have known ahead of time, you know, because they didn't have cell phones. And all of a sudden, he shows up. They lived two miles from Jerusalem. He was probably in Jerusalem, and then he would go to Bethany quite a bit. Um, and all of a sudden, there he is for dinner. So we find out how they did respond. One sister, Martha, showed wonderful hospitality as she welcomed him and began preparing a meal for him and for his men. But unfortunately, poor Martha got anxiously absorbed in physical matters of service at the expense of her own spiritual nutrition. We need to feed ourselves before we can really feed anybody else or serve anybody else. The other sister, who of course is Mary, and Jesus commended for having chosen what? That good part. She cherished the time that she could spend with him and learning from him. After which, then, you know, then she could serve him. First the word and then the work. First a student and then a server. Spiritual nutrition over physical needs. Now, in our discussion of these two women, we continue to discuss how the Lord Jesus did demonstrate throughout his life, through both his words and his interactions with women, the right, the right perspective that God has and always has had for women. The Jewish rabbis by this time, had so twisted and so reinterpreted and so added to and taken from scripture with all their man-made rules and all of their traditions and their legalism that by the time of Christ, women were stripped of much of their God-given desire and, and right to study scripture and to proclaim his word to others, and to serve him with their abilities and their spiritual gifts and even their substance, their resources, as we just saw with uh, Joanna and, of course, Mary Magdalene and Susanna and all the other ones that ministered to him. And Anna, who got to, you know, she served the Lord all her life, and he called her a prophetess, and she was an evangelist. Jesus changed that. He corrected it from what, you know, to back to what it should be, what God intended from the very beginning. He elevated women from the very beginning of his earthly ministry. And another example of how he did that is found in this very well-known episode and what we can learn about from his interaction with these two sisters. Of course, there are many, many, many lessons. We could spend a long time on Martha and Mary. There's a lot of lessons we can learn from these beloved women. 
these sisters, but our main focus is on the Lord's approval of Mary's desire to sit at his, where? Feet as one of his disciples. Remember I said, were there women disciples? Yes. She sat there as a student of his word. She wanted to soak up as much as she could from his wisdom and what he had to say. Now, in Jewish tradition, to sit at a teacher's feet or a rabbi's feet was the position of a disciple. We're told that the apostle Paul, when he was still a Pharisee named Saul, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That is the position of a disciple. So Mary, a woman living in a male-dominated world, culture, took the very, very uncon unconventional position of a disciple. And what did Jesus do about it? Did he reprimand her? Not at all. He commended her for it. He said, she hath chosen that good part. The rabbis taught that women were not to study the Torah. Jesus encouraged it. Did I mention this last time about the, the rabbis? You know, one, one rabbi said, oh, here he is. It's this guy, Rabbi, rabbi Eliezer. Actually, I mean, talk about a misogynist. You know what a misogynist is? It's a, a person who doesn't like women <laughs> or is bigoted against women. He said, rather should words of Torah, that scripture, be burned than entrusted to a woman. That's, isn't that awful? Aren't you glad? You, I don't know what my life would be if I couldn't study this book. It, I mean, this, this is the book of life. This is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is all about God. Can you imagine being You had to learn it from your husband. Well, what if your husband was not a very godly person? What if he never read the Torah? I mean, you had to depend totally on him to learn anything. And, he, and there was another guy. Did I say that last time? Another guy that um, said women should never leave the home. Did, did I teach you that one, or is that on this... No, I didn't say that. Women shouldn't leave the home unless it was to go to the synagogue. And even when they went to the synagogue, they were segregated, you know, from the men. Um, and this is where I thought, I wondered if I had said this before, but um, this, this was the prevalent attitude. It is in many places in the world today, you know, too, that aren't Christian. So glad I'm a Christian. But my, my son um, was deployed in... Afghanistan for a while when he was working with the Navy SEALs and he said you very 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 seldom saw a woman if you did she of course was covered from head to toe but he said some women never left their home and they even in their homes they just had a very high window that so the women couldn't look out and a man might be out there and actually see the woman looking out that's like being a prisoner for your whole life it's, it's really sad, but my own dad was like, he had this mindset. His parents were from Greece, and my grandfather had this mindset that uh, women were just inferior. And so my dad always told me, if you, want, if you want a higher education, if you want to go to college, you're completely on your own because women should stay in the kitchen. They have no, no need to be educated. And he kept to his word, too, kept his word. Then give me a penny toward college, so I worked, you know, from a, a long time to to be able to graduate. Because I always wanted to be a teacher, um, 
And so when I graduated, he didn't even come to the graduation because women shouldn't get. So I know I'm familiar with this kind of mindset. So praise the Lord for Jesus. He commanded Mary for sitting at his feet learning. He encourages it. People often wonder how they can know God's will. You know, I have people ask me all the time, well, how do I know God's will for something? Well, sometimes it's a little, I don't know for sure. There's some things I definitely know, like these two things I definitely know are God's will. One of them is that it is to accept his invitation to come unto him for salvation. That's always his will. It is not his will that any should perish, right? but that all should come to repent. So it's always his will to come unto him for the eternal rest of our souls. The second thing I know is definitely his will is to learn of him. Because in that same sentence, he said, come unto me. And then what else did he say? Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly and of heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So what are we to do? Come unto him first in salvation, and then what will we spend the rest of our lives doing? Learning of him. And where do we learn of him? At his feet, through his word. Both Martha and Mary, and who was their brother, by the way? Lazarus, all right. Both, all three of them, somewhere along the line, had already come to Christ. They they had probably seen him perform a miracle or heard his teaching, whatever. I don't know because we're not told. But they were believers in Jesus. They had come unto him. But Mary, more than Martha, at least at this point, had her priorities right because now she is learning of him as much as she could while and when she could. She had chosen that good part. The last time I taught this in our Bible study, as we went through the life of Christ, I talked about tombstones. I know that's kind of depressing, but do you ever think about what you want written on your tombstone besides that little dash, you know, between your birth year and your death year, and that little dash is your whole life right there? <laughs> I've off, I, I think a lot about what I want on my tombstone, but one good thing would be, actually two things good would be what Jesus said about Mary. In one place here, he said that she hath chosen that good part. Here lies Catherine Caldwell, da-da-da-da-da. I don't know. I don't want to say the end year. That's scary. Uh, maybe it'll be blank because the rapture, all right? But, and I won't be laying there. There you go. I won't even have a tombstone. But, um, and it says, she hath chosen that good part. And the other time he commended her was when Judas was criticizing her for the waste of spikenard perfume. And what did he say? I forgot. What did he say? <laughs> Leave her alone. She'll be remembered, but there was the other thing that would be short. Um, Leave her alone. She has done a good deed, something like that. I don't know. There, I think I have it later on my lesson. But it's another thing he said to her that would be good on a tombstone. One thing I know I don't want on my tombstone is what he said to Martha. Here lies Catherine Caldwell. She was anxious and worried and encumbered about by many things. <laughs> That's probably what my kids will put on there, but, you know. <laughs> All right, so now Luke doesn't tell us the location for this, um, 
this scene here, but we know where it was because we know where they lived. They lived in Bethany. Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived in Bethany. That's from John chapter 11, verse 1. It was their home place. It was about two and a half miles southeast of Jerusalem. That's a picture from 1936 of Bethany. From the narrative, oh, and who else lived there? Who else lived in Bethany? Anybody know? You get a gold star if you know who else lived there. Who? Oh. You get a gold star. Because <laughs> you can read. <laughs> yeah, Simon the leper, who we should say was Simon the former leper. Obviously, Jesus healed him of leprosy. He lived in Bethany. Uh, from the narrative, it is very obvious that this is not the first time that Jesus stayed with his Bethany friends. Because verse 28 says it was Martha who received him into her home, it is widely believed that she was the older sister. I mean, we always kind of say Martha and Mary, and then we think Lazarus is the younger brother. That could be wrong, but that's what most believe. Somehow or another, the house belonged to her. And uh, she readily used it for hospitable service to the Lord and to his men whenever they were in Judea. And that in itself is very refreshing because as we know, overall, Jesus was despised and rejected of men. See, Martha had first received Jesus into her heart and then she received him into her home. Is Jesus in your home? If someone came to your home and looked around, would they know you're a Christian by what they see in that home? Would they? Do you have verses here and there and everywhere? And there's some homes you walk in and you'd never know the people were Christian. There's things you see that you think, hmm, hmm, not sure they're a Christian. Make sure your home reflects the fact that you are a Christian, maybe even before you walk in the home. We have a mat that says, as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord before they even come into the home. Um, so this is, it was at her invitation that Jesus found for brief periods of time a place to lay his head. Remember when he said that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Well, he found a place to lay his head in Bethany. Bethany was basically his headquarters for his Judean ministry. Judea was the southern province of Israel, and Galilee was the northern. Of course, Samaria was the one in the middle. So you had Capernaum was his headquarters in Galilee, and Bethany was basically his headquarters here. Now, Jesus was about 30... 30 years old, 30, you know, 30 to 33 during his earthly ministry. And most people think that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were about his age or maybe a little bit younger. The way they interact with each other, he, he almost treats them like, like siblings. And he's used to having a lot of siblings. And, and you know, I, I don't know if he reprimanded them. That probably didn't go very well with them, but can you imagine having an older brother who was perfect? Can you just imagine? But Martha was a remarkable woman. She really was. And I, I know a lot of times she gets criticized because of this scene here, but she does deserve considerable credit. Um, it was very rare in that day for a woman to invite a man into her home. 
So both of these sisters did unconventional things for their time. By the way, so did their brother, because he rose from the dead. <laughs> Not of his own doing. But um, they, they were unconventional. And this is likely, why? Why? Why were they so unconventional for their time? Because Jesus treated them as equals. As he, you know, he treated them just like he did his male followers. Martha loved to serve. I look around this room and I see a lot of Marthas. By the way, who's named Martha? Anyone? Yeah, Martha. Who else? Ma Is that all too? Middle names, Martha? Martha's a good name. We'll find out at the end. But um, she loved to serve. How many of you love to serve? You're women. You basically love to serve. Yeah, that almost comes natural. It was her way to show her love. Even when there was great grief in the family over her brother's, their brother's death. And that's at the end of the Lord's ministry, of course. You know, that's just like a few weeks out from his crucifixion when he raised Lazarus. This is more at the beginning. But even at that time when they were grieving, Martha, the ever practical, hospitable hostess, she put aside her sorrow to go meet the Lord when he finally arrived, even though what? Four days too late. So now, before we go on to discuss Mary a little bit, who was probably Martha's younger sister, I want to make sure you do not do what so many people do and confuse Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, with that unnamed, repentant, prostitute who interrupted the banquet Simon the Pharisee hosted for Jesus up in Galilee. Evidently, that woman who had been a prostitute had heard Jesus's message, come unto me, all ye that labor, heavy laden. She heard him preach. She heard his invitation. And what did she do? She responded. She accepted his invitation. In fact, she so longed to be rid of her heavy burden of sin and guilt that he had spoken about that she braved all the icy scorns of self-righteous Simon the Pharisee and, and his religious cronies. Um, you know, they, he held a banquet and invited Jesus because they're really looking for something to find fault with in him. But she interrupted that banquet and she fell at the feet of their special guest, Jesus. And to the hypocritical horror of all these men, um, he didn't pull her feet, you know, his feet away from her the minute she touched him, which they would have done. I mean, they would have had the bodyguards come and escort her right out of there, but they would never have let her touch them. Um, and he didn't do that. He didn't pull away when she fell down before him to wash his feet with her ointment and with her tears and then wipe them with her kisses and naughty, naughty. She had let her hair down and was wiping her, his, you know, the, the ointment and, and her tears with her hair. Um, and he didn't pull away. Now, a lot of people think that that woman was married of Bethany. Why? Because she also anointed the Lord's feet, didn't she? Shortly before he was crucified with her very expensive spikenard perfume. 
but don't confuse the two women. Actually, the, the events were at least a year apart and also um, in different, completely different locations. One was at Simon the Pharisee's home in Galilee. The other event took place at Simon the leper, the former leper's home in Galilee. Not the same event. Not the same person. Another person who is often mistaken as that repentant prostitute at Jesus' feet is who? Mary Mac. Do you know how common that is? Because do you know most of the movies, the series on Jesus, I think even The Chosen? I'm not sure. I haven't watched it. But I, most of them will make that woman Mary Magdalene. Okay, Mary Magdalene was possessed by seven demons. But nowhere does it ever say she was a prostitute. If you jump to the conclusion she was also a prostitute, you are saying something the Bible doesn't. A lot, there's a lot of ways that demons affect people, and it's not always with prostitution, okay? She could have had a whole lot of, remember the um, crude, rude dude in the nude, run around naked, you know? <laughs> Cutting himself or whatever he did. I don't know. But anyway, there's no biblical support for saying that woman was Mary Magdalene or Mary. And you know what? There's a lot of Marys, so it's really easy to confuse all the Marys. But Mary of Bethany, Mary of Bethany was a woman who cultivated deep spiritual thought. She was busier on the inside than she was on the outside, than she was externally. Now both sisters, yes, both sisters believed in and loved and honored Jesus when very few did in that day. The sisters, however, and this of course is so true, had different personalities. Do you have a different personality than your sister? Some, even twin sisters can have completely different personalities. Uh, my sister and I were so opposite. I mean, for one thing, I'm, I was kind of tall. I have shrunk. But she was only 4'11". And we're only a year apart. But we were different in personalities in all kinds of different ways. I washed the dishes, and she had to dry them. <laughs> and I, tricked, I would trick her. And she never caught on. It was so funny. I was naughty. I would wash the dishes and put them in the rack, and then she'd be over there drying. And I'd wash the pans and put them in the rack, and then she'd be over here drying. And when she wasn't looking, I'd take the same pot and the same dishes and wet them and then put them in the rack. And then she'd be drying and drying and drying. And then she said, finally, she said, I think I dried this one already. <laughs> no, I don't know why I had to. Confession time. All right, so different personalities. Whereas Martha was active... I always put Martha with who? The disciples. Think of Martha, active, impulsive, speaks what's on her mind, foot and mouth disease. Who do you think of? Peter. <laughs> she was more like Peter. Mary, more pensive, quiet, meditative. Who do you put her with? John. Okay, we can do that because they weren't married, but Peter was married, so we can't do that with Martha. Probably more than any other individual in the Bible, Mary is associated with the feet of Jesus. That is a position that speaks of her humility, her reverence, and her hunger, her hunger for spiritual truth. Now in our current passage, as I've mentioned, Mary is at his feet as a student. Oops, I am behind. 
Um, here she's at his feet as a student disciple. She's eager to learn his will. She's eager to hear his words of wisdom. Can you imagine sitting at his feet? And I, I would never want to get up. I would never, I would sleep there. I would just, every word out of his mouth, I would want to hear it so badly. Well, in John 11, at the time of her brother's death, she's again at his feet. She falls at his feet in her grief. And then just a few days before his crucifixion, she's again at his feet. And this time with a heart full of love and thanksgiving, because now this is after he had raised her brother from the dead, she anoints him with her costly spikenard perfume. It was, Jesus told us, it was a prophetic act. She was led by the Spirit to do that. Um, in preparation, she was anointing him for the day of his burial. Whether she knew what she was doing, I don't know, but that's in John chapter 12. So three times at his feet. Both sisters dearly loved their brother, didn't they? Their little brother, I would say. But it's interesting that the practical, busy Martha, we never find her crying in the scripture. She is never weeping. Only Mary's tears are mentioned. And yet, Martha's grief, wouldn't you say, was just as real and just as deep as her sister's, but people handle grief in different ways ways, don't they? You might think someone, especially if it's a man, isn't grieving because he maybe doesn't shed tears when, at a funeral or something like that, but people have different ways of showing grief. I know my mother, when she showed grief, she would just get, she was a Martha all the way. She would get busy cleaning the house, had to stay busy, you know. There's just different ways we handle things. But when word reached the sisters that Jesus had finally arrived four days too late in Bethany, um, Martha, Martha immediately ran out to meet him. Whereas, where did Mary stay? She stayed in the house and in her sorrow. And where were the people of the village of Bethany? The people of Bethany, the, the, this was a prominent family and they loved them. But the people, you know, that came to the funeral, they stayed in the home with Mary. They didn't run out with Martha. But when Mary finally got up and did go out to greet Jesus, where did the people go? They went with Mary. They joined Mary. Now, what do you think that shows us? I guess, I'm not real sure, but evidently, I, I could say they loved Mary more than Martha, but I wouldn't go there. I, I'd say maybe they understood that Mary needed more support, more of their comforting arms than her independent sister. Interestingly, we never hear a word from Mary other than the one time she spoke and it was an exact repeat of what her sister had said to Jesus when he, fi when he finally you know, responded to their message and came to, to, uh, to Lazarus when he was already dead. And what was that message? Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You know what that's doing? They're calling him Lord, but what are they doing? Both sisters. Putting a limit on his power. If you'd been here before death, you could have done something about it. Post-death, mm-mm. So they're limiting his lordship. And that's the only time we hear from Mary is when she parrots exactly what her sister had said. Other than that, she is absolutely silent. She was quick to hear and slow to speak. 
She said nothing in this scene when her sister complains about her to Jesus. At their brother's tomb, it's Martha who had that very, very important conversation with Jesus. You know, the one in which he told her he was the resurrection and the life. That was with Martha. Mary merely wept after she said, you know, if you'd been here, you wouldn't have died. And then all she does is cry. When she anointed the Lord from head to feet, she remained in absolute silence even when Judas criticized her. And then the others joined in, by the way. They followed Jesus. What did he criticize her for? For wasting that costly spikenard perfume, which was worth about just short of a whole year's wages. Now, it came in an alabaster box, which was like marble. So to get to the perfume, you actually had to break the box. It didn't have a little squirt, you know. <laughs> you had to break it, and it had to be used in full. Um, and he, you know, he was all about the money, and he said, what a waste. And um, it's ironic that he said that because he's called the son of perdition. You know what perdition means? Waste. He is the son of waste. If anyone ever wasted a life and an opportunity, woo, it was Judas. But when, he's, when she's criticized there, she doesn't say a word. Um, isn't that wonderful? She didn't defend herself, ever. Who did, who did defend her, though, both times? The Lord. Isn't that the way we should do it? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I say that to myself over and over again. Okay, don't try to defend yourself. Let the Lord do it. If it needs to, you know, if you're in the right, he'll take care of it. Don't get offended. He's, he's, he's my advocate. Um, but you know, <laughs> great works for the Lord are not necessarily accomplished by great talkers. You all know that. The big mouths like me, the greatest works are done by the silent people in the background that just are so, so faithful. But Jesus did always stand up for her, and I love that. Well, not only do we find Mary always associated with the Lord's feet, but we also find her associated with some type of fragrance in the air every time we see her. In Luke 10 right here, it's easy to imagine the fragrance of Martha preparing food. Can't you almost smell the, the bread baking and the lamb roasting? So you have the smell of, of oven fresh bread, the smell of life at Lazarus's tomb. Remember when Jesus told Martha to roll away the stone and what did she say? <gasps> Lord, by now he stinketh. So what do we have at that? And Mary's there. So the second time we see Mary, we have the smell of bodily decay, John eleven thirty nine, And then in John chapter 12, when Mary broke open that alabaster box of expensive perfume, the, it says literally, the house was filled with the odor, the, you know, that's a good odor, of the ointment. So in her three appearances in scripture, she's accompanied by the smell of life, food, the smell of death, and the smell of worship. Isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Also in the three times that we find Mary at Jesus's feet, we find her honoring his threefold ministry as prophet, priest, and king. When she sits at his feet to hear him proclaim forth God's word, he is God, so whatever he said was God's word, she's honoring him as prophet. 
When she falls at his feet in her great grief over Lazarus' death, she is honoring him as the believer's sympathetic great high priest who you know, can sympathize, empathize with the feelings of our infirmities. Because what did he do at Lazarus' tomb? Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Why did he weep when he knew he was going to raise him back to, to life? Because he was weeping for all that sin has brought to this world. All the deaths of all people which didn't have to be. And can you imagine what he sees with his omniscient eyes? What he sees going on in the world today? What he saw go on on back on October 7th over there in Israel. I mean, wouldn't you be weeping too? Mm. But he is our sympathetic high priest. In anointing him then at, uh, with her expensive alabaster box of spikenard perfume, she was honoring him as king. In ancient times, expensive spikenard in an alabaster box like that was reserved primarily for the death of a king. As I said, the box had to be broken, so the perfume could only be used once and in full. And knowingly or not, Mary anointed the king of kings in preparation for his burial. Now, although the two sisters are often contrasted, Martha being the worker server and Mary the worshiping student, this doesn't mean that the Lord wants us to be either one or the other. Personalities, character types, character traits, talents, spiritual gifts are all different. And we should not criticize, condemn, or covet those who are different from us. Right? He's got it worked out so we all work together as a body. You know, the hand isn't jealous of the foot. <laughs> the mouth isn't jealous of the the liver or whatever. We all work together. Um, there are and there always will be Martha's and Mary's and Peter's and John's and on and on and Paul's, you know, et cetera, et cetera, in the church. The important thing is that we are each to do what we do for the Lord. We're each to do for the Lord what we can with what we have. She hath done what she could. That was it. She hath done what, she not only chose the good part, but she hath done what she could. Layman Strauss, Dr. Layman Strauss, put that on his wife's tombstone. She hath done what she could. With what he gave her, she did what she could for him. The sisters don't represent either or situation. They represent a composite balance. True discipleship is a balance of Martha and Mary. We're to imitate Mary in our worship and Martha in our work. However, it is important to understand from the rest of this narrative that there is an appropriate time to work and there is an appropriate time to what? To worship. And the greatest form of worship is when you study his word. We are worshiping him together here this morning. Worship isn't necessarily singing and praying. Worship is studying his word, obeying him, learning of him as he commanded us. 
So after the Lord's arrival, Martha found herself drawn here and there. Poor Martha. Now all kinds of, you know, she's trying to throw this in the oven and make sure the biscuits don't, the bread doesn't burn. And she's setting the table and she's out cutting flowers and she's, she's just making sure that that Bible's on the coffee table. Um, all kinds of things that are, she thinks her responsibilities and she, you know, her, her desire is to show her love for Jesus by serving him and serving him a delicious meal and making him just as comfortable as she possibly can. She probably ran around, changed all the bed sheets, fluffed up the pillows, you know, all that kind of stuff. Made sure the toilets were flushed. Oh no, let's not go there. <laughs> At the beginning of the preparations, Mary likely assisted in the work. You know, when they heard Jesus was coming with his men, I'm sure she was racing around, obeying her sister, doing this and that. But sometime afterward, you know, when Jesus arrived and he goes into the courtyard or the living room or wherever it was, Mary slips away to join the others, the apostles who are listening to him teach. Luke 10.39 says, Mary also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his word. Also means there were others there, which would be the apostles and probably Lazarus and probably even Simon the former leper was there. But then the text continues and what does it say? But, watch out when there's a but. <laughs> but Martha was cumbered about much serving. And that word cumbered means weighed down. She was burdened down with her much serving. How true is this for so many doing the Lord's work today? They find themselves weighed down with their much serving. After all, it is true that the fields are ripe unto harvest, but what? The laborers are few, and they always say that only about 10% of any congregation, church congregation, does the work. The 90% of the others are putrefied. They just sit in their pew and putrefy. <laughs> but people can't, if you're in the Lord's work, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? It can get tiring, right, Carol? Pastors, why? I mean, we know you can get burdened down. It's not that Christian service is wrong. Of course it isn't. It's not wrong at all. But it can, we have to watch out, it can become a snare. As in Martha's case, if it, become, it begins to crowd out the more important matters, like worship and the cultivation of our own spiritual growth. We have to nurture ourselves first before we can feed the sheep or help the sheep. Martha's excessive zeal, let me see what number I'm on, for temporal provisions, even though they were for the Lord, her zeal caused her to neglect the, the important, um, important part of her own spiritual feeding. Now, it's true, a meal was in order. I mean, they came, and, and, and it, it was really right for her to prepare a meal for them. But time with God is the necessary priority over what we do for him. 
without spending time with him, much of what we do for him will be done in the flesh. Have you ever done stuff for him that's in the flesh? You know what happens to that? It's going to get burned up as wood, hay, and stubble. But Martha is feeling neglected when Mary also went in and sat at Jesus' feet. And she became agitated, for there was work yet to be done. Everything wasn't ready yet. So being an impulsive type of person that she was, a per kind of person who speaks her mind, <laughs> doesn't think sometimes first, but just speaks what she's thinking, she expressed her frustration at being left alone in the kitchen to do all the work. And actually, it's interesting, she was so sure that she was in the right about this whole situation that she bursts into the living room and she interrupts the Lord's teaching. <laughs> Can you imagine? And she, in front of everyone, she essentially accused him of neglecting his duty to tell Mary she was neglecting her duty. Isn't that what she does? Lord, you messed up here. You should be telling my sister where she belongs. <laughs> and she says, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? You know, later on, she essentially says the same thing, that he didn't care enough to be there on time for Lazarus. If you'd been here, this wouldn't happen. So you see how she... she I mean, she's very comfortable with him, <laughs> like a brother, and yet she's calling him Lord. You know, oh my, that's a she calls him Lord, and then she says, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? Do we do that? Lord? Lord, you're Lord. You know what Lord means? You're the Lord. You're sovereign over everything, and yet we say, don't you care about what I'm going through? What's the matter with you? Aren't you watching? It's so silly. Do you see how quickly she forgot the whole reason, the whole purpose for what she was trying to do? Wasn't she trying to provide an oasis, a, a place you know, for of peace and comfort for him and his men, an environment of calm serenity where, she could, where he could totally you know, kick off his shoes and feel at home? And yet suddenly, she has become the source of division and discomfort in the very place she wanted to make his sanctuary. Oh, can Christians become a source of division in their own local church, which is to be a sanctuary of peace for people to worship and to learn more about God? Can Christians cause division in that oasis? Oh, you better believe it. And sometimes it's about the silliest things of all. I just had dinner with a couple, and they said their whole church is um, being torn apart because of a picture on a stained glass window. Okay, I say, you know what, what's going on in the world today? I think there's a lot more important things than to be all upset about a stained glass window. And it wasn't a picture of Satan or anything, you know. <laughs> now, interestingly, do you notice that she does call him Lord, but at the same time, she's passing blame on him for not caring about the inequality of her situation. However, she doesn't stop there, she goes on. She goes a step further because not only does she pass blame on him, but then she gives him a command. <laughs> this woman is something else. She really does remind us a lot like Peter. You know, oh no, Lord, not gonna wash my feet. Mm -mm -mm. She says, bid her, therefore, that she help me. 
Martha completely forgot who she is was in relation to the one she's calling Lord. And we certainly can't point to the speck in her eye when we have beams in our own, logs in our own. I always say a toothpick in your eye, but I've got a telephone pole in my own. <laughs> How easy is it for us to get distracted by physical things? Very, very easy. Martha may have been inwardly vexed with herself. Think about that. She may have really been inwardly upset that she had OCD syndrome, like I have. I mean, if I'm standing at the kitchen window and a pine cone falls, what do I do, Connie? Uh, I, <laughs> I call my granddaughter and say, get over here right now, pick up that pine cone. Or I go out. I mean, I, just, I have this OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Everything has to be, I need to get home today and clean that bathroom badly. Perhaps she knew she should put aside the work for a while and quietly sit with the others and listen to Jesus, but she just couldn't do it. You know, she just couldn't persuade herself to, to do that for fear that things wouldn't come out just perfectly like she wanted them. <gasps> wouldn't that be awful? The knife and the fork are not on the right side of the plate. You know, the centerpiece is not symmetrical. You know, maybe she was one of those, every, and it wouldn't get done if she went in there and sat down. Her distraction actually led to five more Ds. They all start with D. Disbelief in Jesus. Do you not care? Defense of herself. My sister left me to serve alone. She's basically dismissive of her sister because she doesn't even call her by her name. She depersonalizes Mary when she says, my sister as though Mary's not even there. She becomes demanding. She dema flat out demands that uh, Jesus tell my sister to help me. And she's basically desperate. She's desperately trying to control the situation. She's trying to control not only her sister, she's trying to control Jesus. We can only imagine, therefore, her shock, her absolute shock, <laughs> with the Lord's solution to her complaining command because who was the one he gently reprimanded? Was it Mary? No, it was her. But take note because this is important. He did not condemn her work. In fact, if she had remained silent, working in the kitchen, he never would have come in and said, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be out there with me. He would have left her alone because he appreciated what she was doing. She's the one who instigated this. We know him well enough to know that he did appreciate her desire to serve him and his men. He knew her heart as he knows ours. So, so he knew she was seeking to do her best for him. And this is why his rebuke is really gentle. It's not like he's, Martha, Martha, what is the matter with you? He's not like, he's, you know, can't you just hear him saying, Martha, Martha, <laughs> you are anxious and troubled about many things. More like that. In his repetition of her name, we can almost hear his soft, you know, the, the, the gentle voice of our good shepherd speaking to one of his beloved sheep. 
And by the way, Martha is the only woman in scripture whose name was consecutively repeated by the Lord. Isn't that interesting? The only one, Martha, Martha. I don't know that I would want to brag about that, but anyway. <laughs> She's in good company because the only other example of a double name utterance by Jesus during his earthly ministry was to Peter. Remember I told you Peter and Martha go together when he said what? Simon, and that was his old name, old flesh name, Simon, Simon. It was way, his way of getting uh, the attention of those he deeply loved in order to warn them and to admonish them. Of course, in Peter's case, the danger was very serious, much more serious than Martha's. Very serious, because Satan was preparing to do what? To sift him as wheat. Um, the only other New Testament account of a double utterance of a name by Jesus Christ was when he spoke from heaven to a very zealous Pharisee who was on his way to Damascus to do what? Persecute Christians. And his name at that time was different too, like Simon. His name was Saul, and Jesus said from heaven, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who was Saul persecuting? Christians, but Jesus said me, because we are one in him. So Martha's in good company with Peter and Paul. She needed admonishment, and it was best to receive it from the one who loved her unconditionally, who genuinely appreciated her work, and knew her potential, her potential for even greater service once she balanced the physical with the spiritual aspects of ministry. Well, Jesus then told Martha that she was careful, which means anxious, and troubled, which means disturbed, about many things when what? Only one thing is needful. Martha was suffering from a divided mind. She had allowed her work for Christ to distract her from her worship of Christ. She's attempting to do actually more than he had called upon her to do. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Is that a danger with Christians? Yes. Now, some Bible expositors point to a play on words here that uh, Jesus used. They say that what he literally was saying to her was, Martha, Martha, you are busy with many courses when one dish would be sufficient. You, basically, he's saying you're trying to do more than what is needful. Mary has chosen the best dish the spiritual food, because it cannot be taken from her. In other words, one main dish would have been sufficient. So I have a perfect solution for all of you Marthas out there. Are you ready for it? <laughs> Very good. You see, she could have prepared a Stouffer's lasagna into the oven, and while it was cooking, she could have been out there feeding her soul on Jesus' spiritual food. She was putting more on herself than was required. I'm sure she had, you know, one main dish and then all kinds of sides and all of that, and a fancy dessert, etc. Her problem was self-inflicted. She allowed her work 
to distract her and pull her apart so that she couldn't even enjoy her company and her fellowship with God. You know, have you ever been there? I have, oh my goodness, I have killed myself preparing for company. By the time they get there, I wish they'd just go home. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> and my husband and I are fighting, you know, and then when they walk in the door, we have to smile. <laughs> <laughs> and why in the world do you wash the kitchen floor before the company comes? Because when they leave, you have to wash it again, especially if they have children. Well, Martha complained that, her, that her, her load was too heavy to carry alone. But what did Jesus say? He said his yoke is what? Is easy and his burden is light. Her complaint was a sure sign that she was doing more than he asked of her. When we complain or when we criticize others and pity ourselves because we feel overworked, we need to stop and re-examine things. Perhaps in all of our busy work for the Lord, we have actually been neglecting the Lord. It happens all the time. I have to watch it all the time. It's also possible, as with Martha, to pass blame on God himself for not sending us helpers. I'm here doing this all by myself. Nobody's helping me. But he doesn't give us more than he equips us to do, to accomplish. If we feel his load is too heavy, <laughs> it's probably because we've added to, added to it on our own. You know the solution for that? If service to him makes us difficult to live with, <laughs> something's wrong with our service. And so here's the solution. And Moses tried to do this. Remember, Moses tried to do everything himself with all those people, million people. He was trying to do it all. And his father-in-law, Jethro, straight out of the Beverly Hillbillies, Jethro said to him, guess what, Moses? You need to learn to delegate. Uh-huh. I had that problem for years. Now it's easy. Well, not really. I decorated this alone yesterday. <laughs> I didn't want to bother anybody, but you should, we need to learn to delegate, because guess what, there's people out there just waiting for somebody to ask them to help. They want to get involved in ministry, but they're waiting for somebody, you know, some people are shy, but if you ask them, hey, could you do this, could you help me decorate for the, for the uh, Bible study, yeah. oh, Catherine asked me, I'm just so happy, yes, I'd love to help decorate, or can you do this, or could you, could you bake a cake for the, whatever we're having, yeah. We need to learn to delegate. And the other thing we need to learn to do is what? <laughs> it's up there. Say no. Say no. I know that's hard for some people, isn't it, to say no. Because you think, oh, I'm asked. But you're not going to be good. You're not going to be good for anything if you're involved in everything. You've got to narrow down the ministry. And even if people don't understand, a lot of times I do have to say no. Because I have to focus on what, what I feel the Lord has called me to do. So if they don't understand, you know, okay, that's their problem. <laughs> As a tender, loving parent, Jesus exposed Mary's main problem. She was anxious and disturbed about many things when only one thing at that time was needful. It was the one thing Mary rightly chose because it could never be taken away. What can never be taken away from us? The word of God. It is eternal. God is eternal. Man does not live on bread alone but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The many things over which Martha had worried and busied herself, guess what? 
they'd one day be gone. They, well, she died eventually, and what, what difference does it make? I hate to use that expression, but, <laughs> um, you know, one day your house is going to belong to somebody else. What, what about all your china? It's going to be in some yard sale because <laughs> your kids don't want it. You know, everything is going to, this world's going to burn up. Yes, there's going to be global warming big time. And that's what I want to talk about, too, when we talk about heaven at Christmas. Um, this world isn't going to be here. It's going to be a whole, a whole new earth and a new heaven. The food that she prepared would disappear <laughs> into the bodies of the consumers. Her home, kitchen, bed sheets, linens, dishes, table decorations would deteriorate. Nobody takes anything physical with them when they leave this world, right? But there is one needful thing never can be taken from us, and that is the attention and the care that we place with our eternal for our eternal souls. All right, so we're to set our affections on things above, I'm trying to hurry, not on things on earth, or we might find ourselves like Martha, busy but not blessed. We may not even realize that we are turning into cranky, complaining Christians, worried and distracted by all kinds of non-eternal things. Mary chose that good part because she chose what could never be lost, and that is fellowship and worship of God. That's something that's good in health and sickness, youth, old age, adversity, prosperity, life, death, today, and for eternity. She cho chose soul benefit. Are you feeding your soul? Well, you are because you're here today. Are you feeding your soul during the week, daily, on the bread of life? You eat every day, don't you? So you should spiritually eat every day. A spiritual appetite is an indicator of a healthy soul. <laughs> Now, at this point, Mary would have been useless in the kitchen, totally useless if Jesus said, get up and go in the kitchen, because her heart wouldn't have been in it, would it? She probably would have burnt the biscuits. She uh, also likely knew Martha well enough. She knew her sister well enough to know that by the time everything was perfect enough for Martha the way she wanted it, you know, that would mean all the dishes were washed and put away, all the leftovers were put back in the refrigerator, all the, kids, the floor was mopped and cleaned. And by that time, guess what? Jesus would have retired for the night, and she would have missed her opportunity to be with him. She would have served him, but she would have missed that part of being with him. We must be receivers before we can be giver, giving worshipers before we can be effective workers. And Mary had to first be filled up before she could be broken and spilled out, before she could overflow. And that's the exact order we find her. You know, in Luke 10 and, and John 11, she's receiving from Jesus at his feet his word and his power. But then in John 12, when her cup is full to overflowing. I get that way when I study God's word. I just get so filled up with overflowing that I can't wait to see you all again and share what I've learned. It's just like, it's just spilling out. That's what she did. She filled up before she could be flowing over as she poured out on him her spikenard perfume. Well, we're going to close with this. We don't want to leave Martha, who was a very righteous woman. We don't want to leave her standing in silent shame, Right? Evidently, she learned her lesson very well because the next time we see her, yes, she is serving. She's serving. And she's serving 17 guests. This is in John 12, verses 1 and 2. But guess what? 
she doesn't utter a word of complaint. <laughs> she has a calm about her service that only comes from having spent time at Jesus' feet. I think on this next occasion, when she's the hostess at Simon the former leper's house, that she prepared a chicken casserole <laughs> and had everyone serve themselves buffet style with paper plates and paper cups so that she could sit down and, and be fed spiritually with them in the presence of the Lord. Well, in John... Two. Now, this is really going to skip, you're going to think I'm skipping sub subjects here, but the second epistle of John, if you want to flip over there, you know, John wrote three epistles, first, second, and third John. The second epistle of John is the only book in the Bible that is addressed to a woman. It's written to a woman, and she is called an elect lady. He doesn't give us her name. He says to, to the elect lady. John says that he loves her in the truth. And then he also adds the fact that everyone who knew this elect lady also loved her in the truth. Or loved, yeah, loved her because she was still living at the time. Then we are told by John that this elect lady had an elect sister. And the elect sister's children sent a greeting to her their aunt. That's in verse 13. And then in verse 10, John warns this elect lady, this unnamed lady, about who not to receive into her house. Okay, because there were a lot of false teachers going around. And so he's saying, you know, I know you're very hospitable with your house. But don't let everyone in, because there's some false teachers. So in summary, this elect lady had a sister. She was well-loved by John and by other believers. She was very hospitable with her home. And she was ready to receive those who spread the true gospel message of salvation. So it's been an ongoing debate for centuries about who was this elect lady. Some will say that she was Mary, the mother of Jesus. But Mary, by the time John wrote this epistle, would be dead. She would be way too old for this to have been Mary. Plus, Mary went to live with John, so she likely did not have her own house. Even if she was alive, she would be too, probably too old to be hospitable and have people coming into her home. So it is very, very likely it was not Mary, the mother of Jesus. So we don't know for sure who this woman was because John was evidently protecting her from the Jews, you see, who this is written near the end of the first century. And the Jews are very antagonistic against Christians. So if he gave her name, it would be dangerous for her, okay? So he kind of gives us a hint as to who she is by calling her the elect lady. I think he gives us a hint of her identity because the Greek word for lady is kyria. But in Aramaic, 
It's Martha. Martha. And you know what Martha means? If you look it up in the dictionary, all you Marthas, it's associated with domestic hard work. <laughs> that makes sense, doesn't it? Father, in your abundant grace and mercy, I ask that you would help those of us who have something that is stealing our attention from you and from your word, perhaps even causing us anxiety or even bitterness toward other people, perhaps even a sister in Christ. So help us, Father, to commit to setting aside each day to come before your presence in prayer, to read your word, to study it, to learn more about you. Help us to be still and know you are God. You are always good, always in control, and you know everything. You alone offer peace in the midst of this world of chaos and corruption and confusion, conflict, cancel culture, power control, and lots of other reasons to be anxious with what's going on in our world. But you command us to be anxious for nothing. You tell us your grace is sufficient and your abundant mercies are new every morning. And if we seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness first, as Mary did, then everything else will fall into place. Anxiety never solves problems. Only you do. So thank you for the true story of Martha and Mary, two women sisters who loved your son dearly. Thank you for teaching us that you would rather have us sitting at your feet so you can feed us before we then feed others and perform acts of service in his name for his glory. And now, Father, I ask that you'd put a hedge of protection around every woman here and her family. Keep her, keep all of us from the evil one. And Father, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem which we know, we know, will only happen when you return as the Prince of Peace. But we do pray for Israel, and I pray for America to always, always have her backside and be on her side. For we ask these things, Jesus, in your blessed name. Amen.